welcome to the Drabblecast, episode 82. The Drabblecast is a weekly flash fiction podcast magazine that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. We've got two stories this week by returning authors. The first is a Drabble story called My Cat Was Killed by Fairies by Abby Hilton. Abby wrote the Drabble Sacrifices, which turned up in episode 69. That was the one about the zookeeper feeding the kids to tigers. Recently, Abby made her first semi-pro sale to the greatest uncommon denominator for their spring 2009 issue. Congrats. Other works of hers have appeared in the April 2008 edition of Beyond Centauri, and also her free podcast novel, The Prophet of Panamandora, is presently available at patiobooks.com. So check that out. Remember, Drabbles are stories exactly 100 words. Send yours into Drabblecast at yahoo.com. I found a sharpened pencil in his chest. A tiny spear with runes carved into the handle. I remember the first gift my cat left on my doorstep. I thought he'd killed a mouse or a bird, but instead, something vaguely human with insectile wings, its body the color of lily stems, its hair like corn silk dipped in golden pollen. When I put it in my flower press, green juices stained the page. I loved my cat. I've been dusting my lilies with strychnine. I've been setting rat traps among the daisies. I've been keeping my pencils in locked drawers. Our feature story is called An Overgrown Clump of Narcissists by Thane Thompson. Thane is the author of the puppet story, No Strings Attached, which we featured in our last trifecta. His other works appeared or as forthcoming at Reflections Edge, Flash Me Magazine, and Everyday Fiction. He lives in southwest Ohio with his wife and their two daughters. Lately he's been learning how to cook, and he's really looking forward to the holidays. So without further ado, An Overgrown Clump of Narcissists by Thane Thompson. The holidays have always made me kind of crazy, but each year they seem to get a little bit worse. There are nut jobs and psychos and jerks to put up with, but hey, (laughs) maybe your family's different. It was the week before Christmas and I was lying on my battered old couch in front of the Holovision. I spent some time watching restored footage of the afro-haired white guy painting happy trees. Then I surfed over to the tottering southern chef who always shouted, BAM! every minute or so. Finally, I settled on gardening. Come to find out, these ladies have a lot to worry about. As you can see, this clump of daffodils is far too overgrown, said the frail, blue-haired host. The blooms in the center are starting to suffer as the younger bulbs challenge them for sunlight and nutrients. The camera panned in for a close-up, and I could see the hollow-centered ring of droopy yellow flowers. If we don't divide them soon, the older bulbs will die off and leave a ragged, shoddy-looking center. She went on, but those last words stuck. Shoddy-looking. I certainly had that one covered. My apartment reminded me of the cardboard boxes I played in as a kid. At first they stayed smooth and shiny and perfect, but pretty soon they tipped to one side and I had a parallelogram. Or my older brother Hank would wedge his fat ass into them and I'd end up with a trapezoid. Thank God he hadn't come to visit yet. We'd never been close, Hank and I, even before he worked his way up through his father-in-law's business. 
but rather than leading a life of quiet desperation stuck under his daddy's thumb, Hank kissed ass and laughed all the way to the bank. I was a little surprised when Hank invited me to Thanksgiving dinner last month. He gave me some line about how families stick together during hard times. Maybe I was just lonely and susceptible after the divorce. Either way, I went. The thought of sitting through a multi-course meal at Hank and Sherry's house was almost enough to turn my stomach. The food was good, but the pomp and posing drove me nuts. Sherry once told me that she wanted to be the next Rachel Ray, but without the gray hair or felony record. Personally, I thought Rachel had gotten off pretty easy. Who else could get blissed, joyride through a bus full of school kids, and still only spend one summer in lockdown? I was expecting to just eat the rubbery faux turkey and take the most recent redecorating tour, but I never would have gone if I'd known Helen was going to be there. I shot Hank a nasty look as he hung my ex-wife's coat in the closet. He shrugged his shoulders and glanced at Sherry, blaming the invitation on her. I thought about leaving, but it wasn't worth making a scene. Plus, it's kind of hard to explain post-divorce animosity to a six-year-old, and my son Sam was with her. In the end, I settled back on the overpriced and under-padded sofa, hoping to keep the peace. Things didn't get any better when Jenna and Steve showed up. Only five months pregnant, my little sister already looked like a hippo that had chugged a beach ball. She always had to remind us about the bun in her oven. During a lull in the conversation, Hank grumbled something about the recent time change still messing with his sleep schedule. Jenna let out a theatrical sigh that would have put Scarlett O'Hara to shame and said, It's hit me hard too. When you're pregnant, you can't lie on your back or anything. I don't think I've had a good night's sleep since I found out. You're not the only one, her husband Steve mumbled. The bags under his eyes backed him up. I mean, we all sort of felt sorry for the guy, but the novelty of Jenna's condition was wearing pretty thin. I wasn't the only one rolling my eyes. I got up at some point to refill my scotch and was able to steal about ten minutes of alone time with Sam. He was sitting by himself in the hall between the kitchen and the front room, deep in conversation with a couple of his action figures. We didn't say much, just hung out. If truth be told, I watched him play, and he ignored me. That got uncomfortable pretty quick, so I said, Love you, kiddo. Uh, you too, Dad, was all that came back. I was heading back towards the front room when the doorbell rang. Since I was already up, I went ahead and answered it. Some guy I'd never seen was standing there. Can I help you? I said. Is Helen here? Who? Was all I got out before Sam heard his voice. He got up and ran past me, shouting, Jason! Jason! And didn't stop until his little arms were wrapped around the guy's waist. Thrown off by Sam's behavior, I took a step back before I managed to blurt out, Who the hell are you? Behind me, I heard Helen say, Jack! in that snippy little tone she used when she thought I was being an asshole. She stood in the hallway, wringing her hands, and it didn't take a genius to figure it out. I'd moved out. He'd moved in. Everybody was happy. Well, almost. I don't remember much after that. I vaguely recall shouting at the guy and Hank trying to keep me from hitting him. By the time the building security got there, Helen and Sam were both in tears. Let's just say I didn't stay for the rest of dinner. I came home and flopped on the couch. I slept and woke and slept again. The e-com buzzed about 20 times the first couple of days, but I just ignored it. My entire life felt done. I was done. Might as well get it done. I bought the gun the second week. 
The guy at the pawn shop didn't even blink when I told him what I needed. He just gave me a crooked little smile around the stub of his slobber-stained cigar and reached under the counter. He brought up a rusty, battered-looking gun and a half-full box of ammo. He scanned my credit chip, verified the retinal signature, and then went back to watching the old Patrick Stewart version of A Christmas Carol. I liked the gun. I especially liked its cold, heavy presence lying in my lap while I sprawled on the couch. At least it was something solid to hold on to. By the third week, I decided it was time. I was tired of watching old movies and couldn't pay attention to sports. I ended up surfing through reruns of ancient shows in the public access channels. For a laugh, I started talking to the gun. If it was going to help me blow my brains out, I figured I might as well get to know it a little. I felt stupid calling it gun or weapon. When I was figuring out how to load it, I noticed it said 9mm on the ammo box. After that, it just seemed natural to call him Niner. I told him all about my shitty life, that I had worked a second job to help put my wife through medical school, how I tried to give my son everything. I even told him how much I enjoyed paying the mortgage on my wife's townhouse so she could bang somebody else in my bed. I didn't keep any secrets from Niner. I had him in my mouth, ready to do it, when my gun said, I think we should talk, Jack. Since I already had my thumb on the trigger, I'm lucky the surprise didn't kill me. When I heard his voice, I spit him out and looked around, trying to see who was talking. I had to be hearing things. Maybe it was some kind of pre-suicidal hallucination. I shook my head to clear out the cobwebs, then started to put him back in my mouth. Before I even got close, he said, Look, I can tell you don't really want to do this. I froze. Who the hell is that? I shouted. Put me down and I'll tell you. It only took me about a second to set him on the couch and back halfway across the room. W what the? Calm down, Jack. You're the one who started talking to me. In the background, the little gray-haired lady was still yapping about flowers. After you've separated the clump, carefully sort out all the older bulbs. Now, most varieties of Narcissus can be replanted, but I usually throw away the old bulbs and start over with something new. By the time the clump needs dividing, I'm ready for a change. Yeah, I said, taking another step back. I talked to you, but I didn't think you'd be talking back. Um, surprise. But how the... I think he could tell I was ready to bolt because he changed the subject on me. What the hell are you doing, Jack? How does this fix anything? I, I don't know, I said. I'm just... I'm so tired of this crap. It feels like all I do is screw things up. I'm just... I'm done. Look, maybe it's time you started caring more about yourself and less about everybody else. What do you mean? When you and Helen separated, who quit? Was it you? No, I came home from work and found my suitcase at the front door, all packed up and ready to go. And who got the kid? Who gets to spend all their time hanging with Sammy? She does. And who was it that decided it should be out with the old and in with the new? Come on, buddy. You know she was banging this Jason guy before she kicked you out, right? I don't know. Probably. So, who's the asshole? How did this get to be your fault? Well, look, Niner said, 
Let's just calm down, okay, before you do anything rash. I looked at him, lying cold and still on the couch. Tell you what, he said. Why don't you just sit down for a minute and switch us back to that old southern guy with the cooking show. I just love that BAM thing he does. <laughs> I hesitated for a second, then sat down beside him. We talked for hours, watching episode after episode of his show. The longer we talked, the more sense he made. I called Hank the next morning. Hey, I said. Hey, haven't heard from you in a while. You okay? Sure. Look, I'm, I'm sorry about what happened at Thanksgiving. I didn't mean to be such a jerk. No problem, he said. You could have cut diamonds with the tone of his voice. Say, uh, you think I could come for Christmas? I asked. I'd really like to apologize to everyone. Um... I could hear the wheels spinning in his head as he thought it over. You know, Sam won't be here, right? He's going to Portland to hang out with Mom and Dad. I guess the grandparents want to play Santa again. Yeah, I knew he'd be gone. So it's just you, me, and Sherry. Mm, plus Helen and Jason. Are you going to be okay with that, Jack? It didn't go over so well last time. How'd you think it would go? I said, remembering the gut-punch feel of my son running past me, wrapping his arms around another man. Yeah, I, I guess surprising you with that wasn't the best decision. You think? The line stayed silent for a long time. Anyway, uh, let's just move on, okay? There was another long silence before he said, Yeah, okay. So, uh, let me bring something, I said, trying to change the subject. I spent the last couple weeks watching a lot of cooking shows. How about a green bean casserole? Yeah, that sounds fine. Well, Niner and I had a blast at Christmas. It was just like watching his favorite show. Bam! 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 Yeah, so how about that green bean casserole? Bet you didn't see that ending coming. Normally I would have put a warning at the beginning of this episode, but then, well, you probably would have seen that ending coming. Feedback for episode 79, The Scrumptious Little Story, Low Carb Cheesecake by Nikki Drayden. Camo Blamo said, The main feature was pretty sweet, and one of the better stories we've had in a while. The story was economical. It used just the right amount of words. The ending surprised me, which is getting harder to do, and the absurdity of the whole thing was nuanced perfectly. It also reminded me that I should be watching the carbs I'm consuming. Gym memberships aren't getting any cheaper. Adam said, Why is eating pixies gross or wrong? Because they wear little shoes, which makes them seem human, which makes it like cannibalism? It seems so wrong, but if you're not a pixie yourself, you can't say with any certainty that they're more than people-shaped hummingbirds. Might as well eat up. To which Goldenrat replied, I think eating anything that looks human would freak a lot of people out, even if they're not human-sized. Especially if they're intelligent, as I'm assuming these pixies are. Love the story. Short and creepy. Actually, I think it would have worked a little better if it ended sooner after the slipper was found. I also like the drabble about witch moms. So there you have it. Ethics of eating tiny mythological creatures aside, the story was a hit. You might notice the same names turning up a lot in the story feedback. We'd love to have more folks respond to what we do here. Join our forums and get in on the story discussion.
Also, it's the last week of the Super Animal Deathmatch Competition 2008. Hit up megabeast.com and give your vote for one of the badass monstrosities in the finals. The two-ton zombie squid with napalm and liquid nitrogen tentacles needs your help. Well, that's all for this week. The Drabblecast uses a Creative Commons attribution non-commercial no derivatives license, which means you can't change it or sell it, but you can share it all you like. If you enjoy the Drabblecast and you'd like to help us out, you can find two donation options on our main page, drabblecast.org, a one-time donation or a $5 a month subscription. A small price to pay for the quality weirdness you get here at the Drabblecast. We sincerely appreciate anything you can give, and so do the authors whose stories we buy. Tune in next week for some more weird stuff. Till then, our staff is made up of co-editors Kendall Marchman, Luke Coddington, and yours truly, Norm Sherman, reminding you that most varieties of Narcissus can be replanted, but I usually throw away the old bulbs and start over with something new. Waitress turns chairs upside down, piano player picks up his tip jar and drink, and the bartender shouts last round.